eating. I think this is why so many of us are, are grotesquely unhealthy. We're always eating at like one a.m. Like you get back after a, after shows and you're you're still buzzing and stuff and you're hungry because you haven't eaten. And then you make a huge you know plate of pasta and eat it and then fall asleep. And of course, like eating a huge amount of carbohydrates and then going straight to sleep at like two in the morning. It's not it's not perfect for uh, for your for your for your waistline. Hello and welcome to My Signature Dish. My name is Ollie Horn and it's a pleasure to have you here. This is the podcast where I interview the most talented and interesting home cooks that I meet, talk about food with them and then reveal all about their signature dish. If you're new to the podcast, then thanks very much for trying it out. Uh, if you enjoyed this one, then please do go back and see if any of the earlier episodes interest you. If you're a subscriber, then welcome back after a four-month uh, break. <laughs> um, basically, I have been busy recording interviews for you, uh, but we stopped publishing in November last year so we could work on the editing for the pilot of our TV series, Home Cooks of the World. I'll tell you more about this at the end of the episode, uh, but it turns out editing a TV show takes loads of time, uh, and so I'm sorry that you haven't had your fix of stories from the kitchen in audio form uh, over the last few months, but rest assured there's going to be a new episode on the first Monday of each month going forward and that is a promise. So, uh, in this episode, I talked to Leo Curse. Leo is a stand-up comedian, originally from Scotland, based in London, but gigging all over the world. Leo and I became friends over the fact that Leo is an expert in finding the best cheap restaurants in a city that we're in. I don't know how he does it, but we could be in the middle of Melbourne, and rather than go to whatever is recommended by Google or whatever's close, he'll just know that four blocks away there's some Vietnamese restaurant that serves a massive bowl of noodles for less than the price of a drink in the place that I was thinking of going to. Uh, so massive foodie, really interesting guy, very keen cook, uh, so much so that he was on a TV show, ITV's Dinner Dates, uh, which is a show where you cook a meal uh, for a date and uh, he won that show so that must be a testament to either his uh, dating skills or his cooking skills uh, we talk about the meal that he cooked uh, we talk about how he got into food in the first place and also how he tries to keep healthy on tour uh, this conversation was packed so we don't really have a lot of time to discuss his signature dish of lamb uh, but to be honest he doesn't really do anything that special with it so i wouldn't worry too much just enjoy the rest of the conversation and this conversation starts with us talking about the reputation of scottish food abroad I've never been to like any city that's been like, oh, here's a Scottish restaurant serving like boiled potatoes and haggis. Well, I mean, Scottish food is a thing though, isn't it? Uh, it's a thing in Scotland. I mean, they've got like, but it's, it's generally horrible, like deep fried pizza, square sausage, Scotch eggs. Talk to me about deep fried pizza. Deep fried pizza. Basically, it's, uh, what they do is they get, they get a, a horrible supermarket pizza. They put cooked chips on top of it. Okay. They fold it in half right. and seal it. So you've got a sort of chip calzone going okay, on. Nice. Then they batter it and deep fry it. And do you know what it's served with? Go on. Chips. Brilliant. Man, I'm in. It's not even a sprig of parsley on this thing. <laughs> like they're going to do a series of man versus food in Glasgow, but it was pretty obvious that food would have just killed that guy. <laughs> We've, we've got to take that much heroin in Scotland just to keep our BMI, just to keep our weight at an acceptable level. <laughs> Does, does Scotland, I, I mean, this is a, a kind of a joke that's made, right, that the Scottish diet's really unhealthy. Certainly my, I mean, I go to Scotland every year, right, for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, yeah. and my diet is basically exclusively chips. Yeah. Because you're, you're so busy at the festival, right, you're running from one venue to another, yeah. and, you know, fish and chip shops in Scotland, or rather in Edinburgh, are like rats in London. You're never more than... 
10 metres away from one. Yeah, and they're delicious. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, Edinburgh is the most uh, cosmopolitan, chic-cultured place in, in in Scotland. So if you go to, you know, small, I mean, I grew up in uh, in the countryside, you know, villages and, and little towns uh, near, in southwest Scotland. So that was all, you know, you'd have like, uh, the village would have a, a fish and chip shop. Or, yeah, a, a chippy. It doesn't even really do... I mean, it does fish, but it mostly people eat uh, sausage and chips, battered sausage and chips. Which is such that a shame, because I have this impression of Scotland having amazing seafood. Well, the amazing thing is they, they, they have all this uh, seafood, like longestines and mussels and stuff, and it gets it tends to get flown straight to France. People, really? People in Scotland don't really appreciate it, unless they... What they do is they, uh, with scampi, they catch the long... I think, is scampi like some sort of crayfish or longestine type thing? And they fly it to Thailand. They freeze it, fly it to Thailand, where it's peeled and prepared, and then they fly it back and turn it into scampi. Really? It's mad. It's mad. When it's like way more delicious if you just eat it as longestine. Yeah. yeah. And presumably that scampi's deep fried, is it? A hundred percent. Yeah. Put in uh, orange breadcrumbs and deep fried. And I've never even seen an orange loaf of bread. I don't know where they're getting these these breadcrumbs. <laughs> if somebody's printing out their EasyJet boarding passes on it, or sweepings from a tanning salon. I don't know why it's orange. Or paprika. Yeah, paprika. You get paprika flavored crisps in Europe. Good. Uh, well, already a lot of insights, Leo. So, yeah. you, um, if it hasn't already been uh, worked out from your impeccably funny take on Scottish foods, uh, you're yeah. a stand up comedian. I'm a stand up comedian. And uh, Scottish comedian of the year. Congratulations. Thanks. Uh, what did you have to do? Did you have to like eat eat chips on stage? No. Oh, that's funny. Why don't you, that's like that's the equivalent of throwing bananas. That is just basically racism, right there. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I had to just uh, be the funniest in a competition. Nice. And your comedy's taking you all around the world, which I imagine gives you a lot of opportunity to eat delicious food. Yeah, I love it. So what? Uh, well, firstly, where have you toured to? Um, last year, I was in twenty countries. I was in like Belarus, Romania. Um, Netherlands, um, and then I came to Southeast Asia, went to Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, and also went to Australia. I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that there's English language comedy clubs. I mean, I, I'm on the same circuit as you, right? And I think I'm, are, I'm a little bit higher, but but it's the, nevertheless it's the same circuit, same same cities, uh, but. <laughs> different clubs. And uh, but yeah, people are surprised to hear that there's there's English language comedy, say, in the middle of I don't know Jakarta or something. Yeah, well, that's that's the great thing about being born speaking the best language. Like everybody around the world speaks it, so. Uh, I, I mean, I do see your point. That I do feel, I feel incredibly lucky. I, I actually, it's, I think it's more than just that English is widely spoken. It's that English is the language of stand-up comedy as an art form. Yeah. Right. And so I think if people are stand-up comedy fans, often it's because they've um, they've discovered it through YouTube or through Netflix. Yeah. And it's only really recently that there's been, you know, like French language or Russian language stand-up specials yeah. in the last say decade. Yeah. Whereas you know the majority of stand-up that's ever been written and and produced. Um, yeah. is in English, isn't it? Yeah, so if you're a stand-up fan and you're going to go into YouTube and watch videos like the best stand-up, you know, Chris Rock, Bill Burr, people like that, it's all going to be it's all going to be in English. I know Eddie Izzard uh, performs in French sometimes. Yeah, I've seen him perform in French. And right. what's interesting is, I mean, his French is, uh, like, it's not perfect, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it clearly sounds like a, um, like a non-native speaker. Yeah. But his comedy works because... It doesn't really matter the words he uses, right? Yeah, it's more yeah. about his kind of take on things. Yeah, and his and he just, amusement and stuff. Yeah, and he just brings audiences with him. Yeah. He's, he's, you know he's done the same in German and Russian now. Oh, really? Yeah. No way. It's really impressive. Blimey. And I, li- I love it when, um, you know, sometimes having a having a overseas accent, like a foreign accent, uh, really adds a, 
a layer to a comedian like um, Radu Izak. So he's a yeah. Romanian comedian. But there's just like people are laughing before he's even cracked a joke just because of his the way he speaks, the, yeah. his accent. And also, I mean, and also, I think his accent is quite uh, is quite a good representation of his kind of his comedy style because he yeah. comes across as a bit of an outsider. I imagine even in Romania, he's yeah. a bit of an outsider, a bit of an oddball, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I gigged, I gigged with him in Romania in Bucharest, funnily enough. What's uh, what's that like? What's Romania like? Um, it was good. I mean, the when when you're touring, as as you know yourself, when you're touring around, you're usually performing to a mix of uh, expats, so you know English speakers or Europeans, Western people, Americans that have gone to live in Malaysia or wherever it is, and uh, also you get like locals. And Romania, it was more locals than um, than I think it was pretty much all locals. So obviously, their English isn't perfect, and neither is my English because I've got this Scottish accent. So right. th- there's a bit of a I've got to slow things down. But honestly, it was a it was a great show. It was a really great show. And talk about the food in Romania. Uh, the food. So Radu took us out for some traditional Romanian food, and um, it was delicious. We didn't have much time, so we just had this uh, ad tripe soup. Uh, which doesn't sound like the most appetising oh, thing, but the, not. the broth was amazing, and the, and the bread they brought. I mean, it sounds so simple, just bread and soup, but it was the bread was just delicious. It was so delicious, it was amazing, and um, so so yeah, we we had that. The the bread, man, some places. I was at a place in Istanbul just a month ago. I did. I was performing in Fethi, then I got a hair transplant in Istanbul. So I was in Istanbul. I had uh, cow brains and um, baba ganoush and um, uh, the bread. The bread was just so fluffy and oh, like, yeah, so yeah. chewy and, and delicious. And they it fresh for you, don't they? Oh, it was amazing. It was so good. The Turkish seem to be really good at cooking brains. I had lamb brain on like oh. a, a pitta. Mm. It was absolutely delicious. Yeah, I've never had like this. Was cow brains, and um, I mean, it was, it was battered. It sort of looked like scampi, and I peeled back the batter on a bit of it, and then you could see the actual proper Frankenstein texture of the brain underneath, like right. the sort of squiggly lines and stuff. And that was a bit off-putting, but actually, it tasted it tasted good. It was maybe a bit too samey, like I had a big plate of it, so it was all it was all just the, the same. And it was like deep fried as if it was scampi. Yeah, yeah. But I'd love to have. So it was quite milky, but still, like you know, sort of substantial. Um, but I'd love to have lamb brains. Do you reckon the Scottish would? Um, do you reckon that's something which Scottish chip shops could? Well, you know what? They probably already sell it in the sausages and the pies. <laughs> like, so, you know the Scotch pies that are like this sort of round pastry case that just gets filled with this sort of spicy slurry? Oh, they're delicious. There's no distinguishable. Yeah, it's delicious, but there's no distinguishable part of the animal. There's no, like, chunks. It's well, just they, a they puree. Well, they call it a meat pie, don't they? Yeah, it's not, even, <laughs> it's not even a specific animal. This is just generic. Whatever we caught... Whatever we've got, we're throwing it in this mincer and whatever comes out. So my friend used to work in, in a supermarket in the UK and right. uh, he said never eat supermarket sausages because they used to get all the out-of-date like mince pies, like pork pies, things like that, anything that had meat in it, and they just put it in the sausage mix. Really? Yeah, yeah. And then the sausages are probably, you know, unsold sausages or out-of-date sausages are then recycled into the pork pies. It's just this constant, <laughs> there's meat there that's been just been going round what since the what 1920s. Actually, actually, it's a very sustainable food to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sustainable as long as no Nobody buys it. <laughs> Nobody buys it. it. Just keeps going round and round and round, getting reblended. And which is your, which is the best country you've you've toured to, and you've thought, goodness me, I could just eat food here my whole life. In terms of food, I would. It's that's a tough one, actually. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, if you're if you're in if you're in somewhere like you know if you're in a big posh city like London or or you know Melbourne or something like that you can get like delicious food any kind of food but it's going to cost money whereas I love I love going to like Malaysia Indonesia Thailand Vietnam where you get delicious food 
and it's like it's a pound. It's it's so cheap. It's pennies. You can go like in um, in Borneo, you can get like a plate of uh, chicken and rice and little chicken soup and stuff, and it costs uh, it costs one dollar. Yeah, one dollar. But it is it is delicious as well, though, isn't it's it? It's delicious <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, as a Scotsman, I'm a tightwad first, and then <laughs> <laughs> the deliciousness. It. Um, I mean, I, I, I. Well, we did a gig together in uh, in Mirry. Yeah. And I couldn't in believe. Borneo. Yeah, well, yeah, on on the island of Borneo, and I couldn't believe this incredibly delicious um, plate of fried noodles I got, which had in it some fish, some char siu pork, mm. um, some beef, load of vegetables, and an egg on top. Yeah, and um, it cost the equivalent of, of less than a pound. That's insane, and isn't I thought, it? Like, I mean, I wouldn't even, I, mean, I wouldn't even know where to start to make that for a pound. Yeah, right? yeah. But you know, they're doing it at such scale, and what they've done right is they've just refined that one dish. Yeah. No one's going to make that dish better than them because they've yeah. just done the same dish for 50 years. Yeah. They, they've got their regular suppliers. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And I find the best restaurants, when you go into a restaurant and they've got like a million things on the menu, you know it's not going to be very good. Whereas like, you know, restaurants that just stick to one thing and perfect it, like Flatiron. I went to Flatiron before. What's I flew that? Out. It's, uh, it's a place in London and they're probably spread out to other places now as well, but it just it just specializes in the Flatiron steak. Right. So it's like, a, it, I'm not actually sure where in the animal it came from. It's sort of like an Onglet. It's not an onglet though. That's the diaphragm, I think. Uh, so it's like a shoulder cut. So it's quite a tough, like traditionally quite a tough, like a butcher's cut of, of meat. Um, but it's because it's tough. It's got loads of flavour. Yeah. And the way they cook it, and the way they, um, I guess they must marinate it to, to soften it up, and also they they slice it so it's uh, sliced across the grains. It makes yep. it easier to eat. And it's very it's very flavoursome, very delicious. So I went there, took uh, took a, a girl, possibly my girlfriend. We'll see when I when I get back to London. Uh, yeah. Took her there. Well, and this podcast was... will be released some sometime uh, early December. Okay, well that's that's when I'll, I'll find out, I guess. Okay, <laughs> I, I can add this to the uh, to the episode description. <laughs> and I mean, certainly my experience is um, I don't like to eat before shows. Right. Um, and well, certainly like the you know the hour before, like you don't want to perform a full hour of comedy on. A oh stomach. yeah, yeah. Feel really lethargic. Yeah. So um, and also the nerves because it makes your your sort of stomach shrink or something, yeah. so you feel really uncomfortable. If like, it's not a, it's not a pleasant feeling. Yeah. And also you end up wanting to drink loads of water as well. Yeah, and yeah. It's very hard to do that while you're the only one in the room speaking. Yeah. Uh, and so I have a theory that if you want to know the best late night food in the city, you should speak to a stand up comedian. Yeah. Because you know they'll they'll be finishing the gig at eleven p.m. but they'll know where to get something that isn't just yeah. chips. Yeah, because we're always eating. I think this is why so many of us are, are grotesquely unhealthy. We're always eating at like one a.m. Yeah. Like you get back after a, after shows and you're you're still buzzing and stuff and you're hungry because you haven't eaten. And then you make a huge you know plate of pasta and eat it and then fall asleep. And of course, like eating a huge amount of carbohydrates and then going straight to sleep it's like two in the idea, morning. It? It's not it's not perfect for uh, for your for your for your waistline. I noticed that you like to um, you like to find the local noodle place whenever whenever. Uh, I was asking you what you were eating in Melbourne. You're, yeah. you're, you'd found like the latest pho place, or oh yeah, and the ramen as well. Yeah. Delicious ramen in Melbourne, and like really sort of reasonable as well, like ten dollars or whatever, like eleven dollars. So yeah, it was great. And you're touring for at least half the year, aren't you? Um, yeah. Well, in the UK, in the UK, I'm uh, I'm always on the road as well. So it's just the nature of the job, you know, because I'm not, I don't sort of do TV or anything like that. I've got to just hit the road and go and do the clubs all around the country. To and that means you can be driving out. for like four or five hours at a time, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Some nights, I mean, I'll go up, um, I'll go up, I'll do like a Leeds Hull double. So I'll go open a show in Leeds, close a show in Hull. So that's like, you know, four hours drive up, 
then like an hour drive across and then four hours back. So back to you, London? Yeah, back to London. So I mean, or, or I'll get a hotel and stay up there, but quite often I'll just come straight back down. And does that mean that you're eating at motorway service stations? Yeah, I try and avoid motorway service stations because they're just so, like the food is just grim There's and unhealthy. There's one good one, Gloucester. Gloucester Services. Oh, really? Farm. It's run by a farmer. Oh, really? And it's 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 like every service station should be like it. The toilets yeah. are clean. So all the basics are there. Yeah. Um, and like the petrol is like organic, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, like it looks legit. And it's so, um, it's so nice that they've kind of hidden the petrol station underneath a grass mound. Nice. So from a distance, you wouldn't even know it's there. Yeah, yeah. And like I Teletubbies. Think, and, I've, and actually, to get back to my uh, mum's house. Yeah. Because um, I, I bravely allow my mum to live with me when I'm back in the UK. Yeah. Uh, I actually skip a junction so I can... I can go to the service station just because I like the sausage right, rolls there yeah. so much. Nice. Um, and they've got a proper restaurant too, which has like really good, you know, locally sourced, nice food. Yeah. But yeah, the, the majority of the service stations in the UK are just abysmal, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. And also they're, like, they've got that corporate thing. Like, no, I remember being in a Marks and Spencer's uh, coming back from a show and I picked up like two, you know, the reduced salads? And Marks and Spencer's salads are pretty nice. So I picked up two of these reduced they're salads. Though, aren't they? They're expensive, but these ones were reduced. So they were like way cheaper and because uh, they were, you know, going out of date. And I took them up to pay for them. And because it had just gone after midnight, the guy wouldn't give them because like the, the rules state, oh, this is a different day. So you, you can't sell. Me. And so he'd rather throw them in the bin. Yeah. And I like, I tried to reach over the counter to grab them and he like pulled them away. I mean, you should have just let him put them in the bin and then just scavenged. Well, yeah, but the bin was inside the shop. It was oh, behind see. the counter. So, you know, it wasn't going to... But yeah, it was infuriating. Of course it was. It was infuriating. such a waste, isn't it? Yeah. And also, like, to think that that, that one lettuce leaf, right? That le- lettuce leaf rep- represents an accumulation of food waste across the value yeah. chain. Right? Like, for that lettuce to be harvested, presumably there's waste there. Then it's been transported, processed, put back on a lorry, refrigerated, put in a plastic wrapper. Yeah. And because his rules say, no, at five past midnight, yeah. this turns into a pumpkin or whatever happens. So then it's got to go in a bin and then get put in more plastic and driven to a landfill site or whatever. It's like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's crazy. And do you get much much of a chance to cook? Uh, yeah, so, so I cook quite a lot because, I mean, when I'm not performing i've got a lot of spare time you know you're only a lot and a lot of time you'll be perform i'll be performing in london so it's just 20 minutes from my house yeah or you'll be doing festivals where you're in the same spot for three or four weeks at a time yeah yeah although with festivals you tend to be doing so many shows that you you really don't have time to to sort of sit and and, or you'll be staying in like accommodation where you can't really cook but Mm. i'm at my house i live in a i live in a former convent and so we've got you know pretty nice um cooking facilities so i'll cook i'll cook nice food um and yeah and i'll always like try and cook something interesting like i drove to to leeds and back with um this girl i just started seeing and uh, we went, the same girl that we're talking about same girl yeah and we went back to hers and she lives in croydon she's got this amazing flat in croydon so we went back and i cooked this week she had because she buys like because she works in finance so she's got like She's she's rich and she just spends her money on on sort of crazy stuff. So she, she had all this stuff like friable cheese, but it wasn't paneer and it wasn't halloumi. And uh, it turns out it wasn't actually that friable. <laughs> I put it in the frying pan and it just sort of melted and stuff. It was like cheddar. Yeah, you know, just like cheddar. Well, I was gonna say, I mean, any cheese is friable if you don't care about the result. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, assume like friable cheese. But then it, it said all this stuff. You got to soak it in water, then like dust it with flour, and it's oh come on, you don't have to do that. And with to halloumi. what end were you frying this cheese? Uh, so we had some delicious food to eat and also fried some eggs yeah but why why were you frying the cheese what for were you putting it in something no it's just fried cheese and eggs (laughs) i told you i'm scottish (laughs) and this is this is how you woo a woman is it yeah and drink wine as well okay 
Yeah. So so basically, what you've done is you've created the Scottish version of a cheese board. Well, I'm good. No, I'm like the thing is, I can always make a meal from whatever's in the fridge. Doesn't matter what's in the fridge, I can always make a meal. I'll get I'll get something together. I've always got the staples like pasta, cans of things and stuff, and I, I can always get something together that's kind of edible. And do you uh, are you typically cooking for one? And I don't mean that to be a loaded question, but <laughs> I mean typically comedians they live a lifestyle where you're not even eating meals at the same time as everyone else. Yeah, you? yeah. Um, I think it's a skill that's really hard to learn to cook a good meal for one person. Yeah, and you don't really want to like you know make a lot of mess and stuff if you're gonna have to tidy it all up yourself. So uh, what I normally do is I just do a, a one dish meal. Oh, like a one pot kind of. Yeah. Do you have a slow cooker? Uh, no, no, I've oh, got. Good I for just that. do it. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, I used to have a slow cooker and it was great. And it's great for creating, you know, cooking a big volume of stuff. It was brilliant. But um, what I do is I just, so I've got an oven dish and I'll put, um, I'll put like aubergine on the bottom, some onions, just roughly chop some onions, some garlic and stuff like that. Uh, get some rosemary from the garden, like sprinkle it all over. Put you some have olive rosemary in your garden? Yeah, yeah. I live in a former convent. We've got hops. We've got grapes. It's crazy because they've got like, you know, obviously yeah. monks or whatever live there. So they brewed beer and stuff. So, um, so it's great. There's nothing got- like fresh rosemary there. Yeah, it's, it's delicious. Um, and uh, so I put that on and then I'll put like lamb chops or, you know, some kind of some kind of meat on there. I'll maybe put some chickpeas underneath as well. And then like, all the juices from the meat dri- drip down onto the aubergine and it goes yeah. like really milky and creamy. And so you put this straight in the oven, do you? Put it straight in the oven, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll cook the, um, what I do is uh, to soften the aubergine up because I don't like it when it's kind of squeaky. Yeah. Um, to soften it up, I'll put it in uh, in the microwave for like five minutes before I, before I put it in the oven. And just to make sure when it's in the oven, it goes like creamy. Does that like steam it in the microwave? Does kind it? of, yeah. Yeah, yeah put some put it on a plate with some water and then it doesn't dry out it like keeps it moist and do you ever try and replicate the food that you eat on your travels at home yeah yeah cook uh try and cook ramen um oh, ramen's co- hard making the broth is hard yeah you got to boil the bones and stuff obviously i don't do that i just use a stock cube but um okay somebody should somebody so you're, yeah you're so it's making, not you're not making it's not ramen, ramen yeah you're it's just, not ramen it's not gonna like sticky you're putting instant noodles in a, in a bisto packet <laughs> <laughs> Um, goodness me uh, but I make uh, coconut curry oh uh, nice yeah yeah and that's a one uh, dinner date I was on I wanted to talk to you about this yeah. so one of your uh, culinary claims to fame yeah. I mean you have been on TV doing stand up comedy yeah but you're most known <laughs> <laughs> um, I had no idea about this uh, until the, the, the episode was re-aired recently yeah and uh, so for, for the listeners that haven't heard of the smash hit ITV2 series Dinner Day. Uh, <laughs> we, it dreams of being an ITV2. It's ITVB. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is Dinner Date? Uh, Dinner Date is this reality TV show um, where somebody picks, um, picks menus from, these, from suitors and then they each cook a meal for that person. They go on a dinner date with a person. The person cooks a meal for them. And is and it normally it, a woman that is being cooked for by a man? It's completely gender neutral. So it's a 50-50 split. That's so good. a man can be cooked for by a woman or a man can be cooked for by another man. It's completely, you know, a- anything goes okay. on this show. And do you get to pick a preference before uh, you apply for the show? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. Yeah, you get to say whether, you know. Okay, so you were competing with other men who were all cooking th- this one woman a, a meal? Yeah. And then she had to pick which man she liked based on the quality of the meal. Yeah. Did she meet you as well? Well, I'd, yeah, because we had a meal. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> you know, but wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a, an interesting concept for a show? That like five... What, two people eat meals in different... Like some sort of English marriage 48 <laughs> years in. No, no. Just sleeping I, in separate beds. No, what I mean is... No conversation whatsoever. Both just full of bitterness and resentment. What, what I mean is, imagine if... 
you cooked a meal, right? Blind. You weren't blind. You could see when you were cooking the meal. Yeah. And then all these dishes were presented to the to, to the woman. Yeah. To the prospect. What did, what was the word you used for the for the the date. contestant? Date. Uh, I think you used a better word than that. Did I use a better? Yeah. Date. Anyway. Um. And she. Uh, but imagine if she picked who she would like to see. Yeah. Right. Who she'd like to meet based on what was cooked. Well, there is a little bit of that because at the start she's got five menus to choose from. Oh, so okay. she only picks three of those. So then you've got to, you've got to, and like you, you can be quite, um, uh, quite sort of loose with the naming of things. So you can give it, so you can make it rhyme. You can give it like some sort of romantic thing, ah, maybe okay. a slight sexual innuendo or whatever. Okay. So what was your angle? Um, I can't remember. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I think it was all, oh, it was all like ridiculous. Like it was sort of wanky. It was all like you know, um, like. Uh, Soul enhancing, not soul enhancing. That sounds ridiculous. But like, I can't remember. What, it was all that kind of stuff. It was like you know, yeah, chi- you know, uh, heartwarming chili chocolate, nice, etc. Okay. And so, do you remember the the meal that you cooked? Yeah, yeah. Talk yeah. us through it. So uh, before we cooked the meal, um, we made our own cocktails. Had a little cocktail masterclass. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I'd know nothing about making cocktails. So the gin and tonic. I got that one right. Yeah. Uh, because that's gin. <laughs> <laughs> and tonic, isn't it? It's in the title. It's in the title. What? I do find it really funny when, when when like people say, "Oh, she makes a mean gin and tonic." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whoa! How'd she do that? How many years at MIT was she for that? Oh my god! I know. It is. It is just gin, tonic, ice, yeah. lime. If you're lucky. It's like with women on dating profiles when they're like, "Oh, I'm a nail technician." It's like, what for NASA? Like, what? How many <laughs> how many years were you studying at the Massachusetts Institute of Nail Technology before you became a nail technician? Um, Technician. So you uh, let's see your toolbox. <laughs> you uh, do you know? I I, I was reminded of um, I, I saw someone on, on Twitter yesterday um, who I always find it funny how people on the right sometimes make really really left wing points by accident. Yeah. So this guy was complaining about how um, so someone was proposing that, that the minimum wage for McDonald's workers went up to fifteen pounds an hour. Oh yeah. Right? And he was like, but nurses only earn. Eight pounds an hour. Yeah. Do you really think that someone flipping burgers should, should earn as much as a nurse? Should earn more <laughs> than a nurse? And I and my two responses to this are: firstly, I think you've identified that nurses aren't paid enough. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think someone cooking a burger has a really important job. Well, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you not think that you know? Do you not want someone that is like skilled? Like yeah. flipping burgers is not an unskilled job, is it? Well, it's. Not, I mean, it's come on, it's not that skilled. I mean, you could learn it and. Half an hour. You just you cook it. You got to get the thing to the right temperature. Then you got to cook it for the right amount of time each side. And also, like a lot of these things, like McDonald's, there's no skill in cooking a McDonald's burger because it tastes like it's just it's basically steamed. It's not like properly cooked. I stand corrected. T- tell us, tell us about your uh, your meal that you cooked. All right. So um, for start, so we had these these cocktails. So it's gin and tonic. There's espresso martini, which uh, I didn't know what went in an espresso martini. I thought it was espresso and vodka. Turns out there's other stuff that makes it taste nice. So basically we had uh, really strong espresso with vodka in it. So it was like absolute rocket fuel. And we were just like totally hyper and really drunk from then on. So were you not given guidance by the producers on how to make these cocktails? No, no that's, that's the fun of the show. Watching somebody like not know how to make an espresso martini. Did, did and they give you a coffee espresso machine martini. to make an espresso? No, I've got more. It was at my house. Oh, so they actually came to your house? Yeah, to, yeah. Wow. So and I was living in a warehouse then, so it was quite... Um, you li- why do you live in the weirdest places? It's London. If I wanted to live in a real house, I'd be paying like a million pounds a month. <laughs> so I live in a warehouse, and it's fun because there's loads of space. 
Sure. Um, so, uh, espresso so, so martini. Start, it started with cocktails. And did she mind that these cocktails were terrible? No, they, I mean, oh, they weren't that terrible. The oh, gin okay. and tonic was great. The espresso martini was uh, really had an effect. It really, you know, okay. it was good. And that put you in the mood for the starter, which was? Well, the starter was uh, pan-seared scallops. Okay. On, How else do you sear a scallop? On Well, you could sear it on a, a naked flame. <laughs> You could sear it. Man, that's a much more interesting dish. Yeah. Naked flame seared scallops. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Well, this was seared in a pan. Also, it kind of helps with that kind of, you know, sexual undertone. Yeah. The naked on. Which yeah. Is and flame. Off. Yeah. Yeah. This is your your genitals are going to be on fire after yeah. you've had sex with me. Okay. So you've, um, you've got pan seared scallops. Yeah. Scallops are hard. It wasn't that hard. Really? Just had to get it to the right temperature and then sear it. Okay, but you know you, you don't want them, you don't want to overcook them, do you? Oh yeah, the, I mean the secret with seafood is like hardly cooking it. Yeah, you basically don't want fish to be like is it fish? You can you can almost eat it raw anyway. Well, that's what they do in Japan. The sushi. That's yeah. What, so you just you want it like uh, you want to keep it moist and you want to keep it keep it like just enough so it's falling off the bone. And um, with the Do scallops have bones. Scallops don't have bones. <laughs> it does have that sort of orange roe or something, which in restaurants they cut off. But I right. left it on because it's totally edible. Right. So I seared it, and, and that's gave the it. standard: edible. <laughs> not delicious. They cost a lot of money. Yeah. So I'm not cutting that. And hey, did the, it in the producers bin. give you money for the ingredients? They give you fifty pounds for the ingredients, and I think I spent a bit more than fifty pounds to be honest. Right. So, okay. So yeah. anyway, so scallops is a starter. That's a good start. Yeah, and it was on uh, toasted rye bread with uh, pesto. Oh, nice. Yeah. Did you make your own pesto? Of course you didn't. No. Good. Um, what was your main course? Uh, my main course was uh, Malaysian coconut curry. Okay. Had you been to Malaysia at the point of... I hadn't been to Malaysia. Okay. Did you... Is Malaysia known for its coconut curry? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't... This this was a Malaysian coconut curry. Is, is it known for... There, there's loads of coconuts. It must be. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. And uh, how does a Malaysian coconut curry differ to, say, a Thai coconut curry? Turns out it's very similar. <laughs> It's very, very similar. <laughs> when you cook it. Yeah. I just I got the spicy stuff in my kitchen. Right. I used uh, a chicken stock cube and um I cooked there's a bit I washed my courgettes, a bit a clip that they kept showing was me washing my courgettes like I was masturbating <laughs> the courgette. That's the film. whenever it's shown on TV, everybody like films that bit and sends it to me. And uh, it's great. Every time it's shown on TV, I get like girls messaging me being like, oh, I, I liked you on that show. It just shows. Like, but, like, that's just the, that's the very minimum amount of TV exposure. Imagine if you're properly on TV, like, you know, I don't know, like uh, Russell Brand or um, David Duchovny. You must just get hundreds, hundreds of messages on Facebook from, from women. Yeah. Well, but can they cook? Maybe the women are interested in the fact that you can, you can well, cook. Well, with David Duchovny, he can probably just order Deliveroo or something because he's rich. Right, okay. I'm rich too. Okay. I drive an Audi, brand new Audi. <laughs> not on a lease around, just paid for that thing, really? cash. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I suppose if you're doing a lot of road miles, then... Um, Makes, yeah, you want a nice car. Yeah, you want to have a, ni- a nice passenger seat to put your... Uh, your drive-through McDonald's on? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I don't eat McDonald's. It just, it's not. It doesn't fill me up. So I had this. Uh, so a coconut curry. I just got all the spicy stuff from from my kitchen. Uh, By so spicy I'm, stuff, I mean this is. The people listening to this are very keen to hear the specifics. Okay, well, and I don't like. I don't, spicy stuff doesn't. Cut I it. never follow a recipe. I find people who follow recipes infuriating. I remember my my ex girlfriend's mom. She was like following this recipe to make something. It said like half a courgette. That was in the recipe. Why would you have a half a courgette? Or what are you going to do with the other half of the courgette? So she literally cut this courgette in half, put half of it in the thing, 
And she's had this like other half of a courgette in her fridge. And it's like, just put the whole courgette in. You think it's going to, oh, no. Oh, the ratio of courgette to other ingredients is all wrong. This tastes horrible. Just put the whole courgette courgettes in. Courgettes come in so many different sizes as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, plausibly, like the margin of error between a very small courgette and a very large courgette yeah. could be inconsequential. A rounding yeah. error. Yeah. And unless this recipe book, hey, that's a good idea for a recipe book, right? For single people. Yeah. Like using half of stuff. Right, and then another recipe where you use the other half of it. Yeah, so or I, just put the whole thing in. Yeah, exactly. Just make twice as much. I find it really infuriating when recipes um, like ask for you to use egg yolks, let's say. Yeah, right? and then there's nothing. What about the whites? Well, exactly. But, the, the, no, but then they always flippantly say TV presenters do this a lot. Like, and of course you can just make a meringue with it. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> obviously, obviously, when I'm in the middle of doing something which involves egg yolks, I'm not thinking. Yeah, that's what I need to do. Get a a, a whisk out, and of course you don't do that. Uh, so maybe that's a good idea for a cookbook. What would happen if you made meringue with just like the whole egg? Would that work? I don't think it would. I mean, on um on the Home Cooks of the World TV series, we have an episode where um, I was taught how to make Italian meringue, and mm. I was very very surprised by how little margin for error there is. So, for right. example, a small amount of dust on the bowl, for example, will stop the whites getting fluffy. Oh, really? So, so I imagine the yolk would absolutely ruin. The right? Process. Yeah, yeah. It's like bread because I'm always surprised how like the ratio. If you put like too much water or not enough water in bread, it, it drastically changes the. And I'll, and I'm always amazed actually how much of an art, not a science, specifically bread is. Because mm. you know, like people that are good at baking, typically you know do use very precise measurements. Yeah. People that are good at making bread can just do it through touch and feel. I always yeah. think that's really impressive. Yeah. That bake like of baking, I do think is quite scientific. And yeah. That's why I'm not very good at it because I'm like you. I like just going, yeah, I'll see what I've got in the fridge. Yeah. And I'll see. And also, you know, tasting as you go along. You can't yeah. do that when you bake, can you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can't just like open, you know, yeah. pick it a brown. Cut a slice out the souffle. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but bread seems to be the one exception where, yeah. you know, simple breads where, you know, it is all about how it feels and what the water content yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And also, um, something, th- th- there's a book that was recommended to me and I, and I wish I could remember the title because it would be interesting to talk about is how time is the secret ingredient of, of, of cooking. Yeah. Right? And how, like, when you think about, basically cooking is about the ingredients that you use and the heat that, that you use, but then the final kind of thing is like how how yeah. long things take to stew how long you've marinated yeah stuff. yeah and um, it really changes the texture and the yeah. flavors and and th- there's a youtuber called adam i want to say adam ragusia i think he's he's an american guy um and he's quite nerdy he's got quite a scientific approach to mm-hmm. food and he did an experiment where he made a pizza dough and he, he cut it into seven bits and put it in his fridge and took it out day after day to see what it did to the crust no way and it's fascinating right just an extra two days can completely change yeah yeah the texture of, of, of a bread so I'm presuming that this rye bread was was store bought. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. So uh, and how did? Although the... I do bake more in bread as well. Do you? Yeah. And do you follow recipes? Well, when because my ex girlfriend had a really nice oven, so um, it was it was great. Like and doing the stuff like putting a tray of water in to make the crust go really nice. Right. Okay. So I used to I used to bake a lot of bread there. I'd love one one of my dreams is to 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 one day have uh, like my own pizza oven. Mm. I'd love to have you know like an outdoor. My friend built one out of bricks. Really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, does it work well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It because uh, you just can't make good pizza at home, really, can you? Like yeah. people say, you use a pizza stone, but I just don't think you can. Yeah, it's not the same as getting one of those it. things. Yeah. Yeah, and like a really good pizza. I remember in Rome, like ordering like pizza there. Yeah. And I know people say that Rome isn't even the best pizza, but I like Roman style pizza. Mm. And they cook it in like thirty seconds. Yeah. Like it's just so hot. The cheese just melts instantly. It's so delicious. So the main course went down well. 
Yeah. Okay. And then did you have to cook her a dessert? So the dessert was um, chili chocolate brownies. Nice. So um, yeah, You baked these? I baked these, but I forgot quite a crucial ingredient. Go on. Flour. Christ. Um, so there was basically this... Because uh, I remember pouring Were it into the thing. Were they really gooey? Well, it was just like a it was like a thin layer of uh, of stuff on the the tray. But we were we were quite drunk by this point, so we just sort of scraped it off, <laughs> and it just came up like a sort of curl of like weird rubbery. Do you know what? I bet you could have persuaded her that this was deliberate, and if you'd like made some, you know, like fancy kind of twirly curly design yeah. and placed it on a plate with a petal of something, you could have persuaded her that this was legit. Yeah, but you didn't. I didn't. We just scraped it off the. <laughs> The, the dish and they say romance is dead <laughs> and then we had uh, Indonesian gash bombs what's that which uh, basically was, I was in Lombok in, in Indonesia and they they have this thing it's called extra joss extra josh or something so like this powder it's like Red Bull you know like uh, energy drinks so it's, it's like that but it's powdered so you pour it into water and it froths up and you basically get a glass of Red Bull what's in but the powder what, sugar and caffeine yeah, sweetener and stuff that makes it fizzy and caffeine and taurine and probably some other stuff. It sounds awful. It's Indonesian. What you do is, uh, what they do in the bars there is you, you just chuck the powder in your mouth, then do a shot of vodka, and it all froths up and you swallow it and it like it blows your head it off. It's amazing. Inducing. It's vomit oh, It's amazing. So we, we did those as well. <laughs> the TV producers must have been delighted by yeah. the absolute debauchery that you were yeah, inflicting yeah. on this poor date. Well, I looked at because she picked me for the final the final thing, so technically I won it. Really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. So then you know she takes me out for a meal, and um, and does she cook for you? No, you go to a restaurant. Okay, so j- just before we talk about that, just explain exactly what you did. So you got this powder. Did you bring it back from Indonesia with you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, and then you you pour that powder into a drink no you pour it into your mouth and then you do a shot of vodka okay so it really is as as as, as, as simple as it sounds yeah right well um it's not it's not for me to criticize because you won right and you yeah. weren't trying to impress me you were trying to impress her although i did i did see what the other men that i was up against what they cooked okay and the one thing i remember was uh, one of the guys he'd got like you know those like sort of round coffee cakes that you get from from morris and get from a supermarket for like you know two or three pounds uh I, iced sort of cake sponge cake okay just like you know you know like a coffee cake get like the you know round <laughs> car- but the, you know the They'll feed about, you know, six people. Everybody has a slice and a cup of coffee. Or I whatever. know how cake works. Okay, like a cake. <laughs> you know what I mean? The cake. So one of them, like one of them, uh, like on the menu, it was all like homemade, homemade cake, cake stuff, and homemade ice cream. And it wasn't at all. He just got like, and also it was you. He like got four scoops of just Iceland vanilla ice cream, just bargain basement ice cream. Just chucks it in a bowl. Like and like a mixing bowl, not even a dessert bowl, and like cuts one of these cakes in half and chucks that on top. So there's enough for like a family of four. And he gives it to this poor girl. So at least at least I'd made an effort. But my my my, my I guess my I don't want to say criticism, right? Yeah. You're not you know it's not my place to criticize. But the thing that strikes me about this this yeah. meal is you, you've taken inspiration from everywhere. There yeah. doesn't seem to be a thread that runs through it. Yeah, there is. Go on. Deliciousness. Okay. Well, the scallops thing. Scallops are nice. <laughs> yeah. The coconut curry. 
Yeah. Did you put any meat in the coconut curry? Yeah, chicken. Oh, was it? Not? Okay. Yeah. What? How did you cook the chicken? Um, I fried it and then put it in because I think it's nice to fry meat before you put it in something like that because I you agree. get the Maillard reaction and it gets the flavor. Correct. You know, a bit of caramelized sugars not happening in the meat. Yep. I've heard that the I've heard that caramelizing sugars is apparently a, 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 a like the wrong nomenclature. Apparently, it's not sugars that are caramelizing in the, the proteins. Yeah. Right. Um, which I think isn't, but aren't proteins the same as sugars, like chemically? Well, isn't sugar a carbohydrate? Who knows? Do you know what? We well, will ne- we Google will ne- knows. Yeah. I'm, do you know what I'm pro- pretty sure sugar is the simplest carbohydrate. I'm pretty sure there are people listening to this now that are infuriated by my, <laughs> <laughs> my level Whereas of Whereas protein should be long chain amino acids, isn't it? I don't think us having a discussion is going to... Um, but protein occurring in meat has got the... Uh, also, you know the interesting thing? You know how when you cook eggs and they go from see-through to opaque? Yeah. You know why that is? Go on. So when, they're, when, they're, uh, when you crack an egg and it's, it's all runny, uh, the proteins are curled up tightly like a sort of fern head, like, you know, like a fist. And then when you cook it, the proteins relax and, and lengthen out. And then they all like join onto each other. And then it becomes like one solid mass and it becomes opaque as well interesting and so is that why when you make a mayonnaise it kind of turns from going like orangey to like brilliant white and you're just wondering what how on earth did that happen oh really i don't know uh, maybe that's because you're you're whipping it again who knows (laughs) (laughs) and so she took you out for a meal yeah. Did she cook the meal or did she just take it? No, no, this was in a restaurant. And, yeah. and was that part of the show or did, was that like a Yeah, that was on the show. That's, yeah. Okay. And what yeah. did, where did you go? We went to this place in uh, somewhere in North London, like near Crouch End. I can't remember the name of the place. But uh, so they gave us £100 towards the meal. And oh, the meal, do. The meal came at more than £100. And you had to pay it out of your own pocket? I had to pay. I had to pay like £25 extra. She didn't even treat you. Furious. I mean, that, that seems like quite a lot for a restaurant. In yeah, well, the, like, she was ordering all these drinks. You know, like girl drinks are always like a million pounds. It's like, <laughs> oh, can I, have, can I have a tiny, 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 tiny glass of Prosecco for 14 pounds, please? You know what I mean? <laughs> and no, they're happy have to a, oblige. Have a pint of lager. And actually, well, that tiny glass of Prosecco will have some kind of accoutrement that will also double the price. Yeah. Like a little shot of lime juice and yeah. flour. Yeah. And, uh, and how did it go with it? I mean, obviously, we know that you didn't end up marrying this girl. No, I didn't end up marrying her. I wonder if I can say that. Basically, she she started, she made an excuse that she had to come back to my my house, and then uh, she came back to my house. And I think that's all we need to know uh, for more food. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to know about uh, about how you got interested in food. Growing up, how did I get like you got to eat food? Well, no, that's the thing. But most people I don't. I spent the first seven years of my life not eating any food, just fed through a stoma. That's a pipe that goes in your stomach. Right. Okay. But, um, but but you know most most people most people don't get excited about being in the kitchen. Did you get excited about being in the kitchen from an early age? Yeah, yeah. Like my my mum was always uh, cooking. Uh, she did a, uh, actually. My dad my dad had a restaurant for a while. Okay. That's how he lost all his money. <laughs> okay. So he started up. It's tough like, business, isn't it? Yeah. Bo- well, both my parents are like sort of serial entrepreneurs. Um, all of the the restaurants sort of knocked it on the head from my dad. But um, yeah, so he, he moved to, they lived in London, they had a knitwear business. and Knitwear? Uh, knitwear, yeah, okay. making clothes and stuff. But then they were getting, uh, they were getting hammered by uh, competition from Bangladesh and stuff where they can, you know, obviously labor costs are a lot lower. Uh, so they moved to Scotland and my dad uh, opened a restaurant. What kind of <coughs> restaurant was it? It was called John Barleycorn's Bistro. It was in Dumfries. Um, Where's Dumfries? For Dumfries is like south, southwest Scotland. So very, you know, very sort of... Um, 
out in the sticks, not a big city at all. Right. So we opened this bistro, just doing simple, like simple but delicious sort of French um, like steak and all all sorts of stuff like that. I mean, I was I was like six years old, so I, I can barely remember it. But very nice, you know, simple, good ingredients, cooked simply and well. And uh, yeah, my dad's like a really good. He was always like ex- experimenting. Was he I remember, a trained chef, your dad? Uh, no, no, just like you know, made it up. He's a trained gunsmith. Um, but just very good at like building stuff. Can build a gun from scratch. Build wow. crazy guns. And um, and uh, he, he was always like exper- Like I remember he had this thing. It was like white bread soaked in milk, and then you fry it. And so it's all. Cre- How do you fry a watery bread? Well, this is the thing. This yeah. is the thing. I don't know. But he did it. He did it. And like the so the milk, the the sugars in the milk caram- caramelize. So you get this crunchy outside. Wow. On it. Yeah. Really like buttery and and. Do you crunchy. need oil in the pan? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. And, um, it's not deep fried, is it? And then inside, no, no, just uh, in, a, in a shallow fry pan. And then the, the inside is all, because it's all milk, and it's really like gooey and delicious. So it was it was amazing. I still I was I must have been like five or six when he cooked that. And you can still remember it. I can still remember it. Wow. And uh, But yeah, like, I mean, he, he opened that in, in Dumfries where everybody just eats, eats chips. If he'd, if he'd opened like a chip shop, we'd be having this conversation on a yacht, you know, <laughs> but instead he bankrupted himself within about three months. Yeah, that's sad. <laughs> no, he, did, he, didn't go, he didn't take bankruptcy, which would have been financially the smart move. Um, yeah. So he paid everybody back, but that meant he had to like, you know, pay everybody back which wasn't so good for us for a few years we were very so poor did, and then he did he start another business after this no he just went back to being a gunsmith right and okay. then kept being a gunsmith but then he, he also values guns for auctions and does weird gun stuff as well and so even though you were quite young at the time do you have memories of being in this restaurant yeah yeah i remember it I remember it quite well i remember um because i saw the waiters what the waiters were doing so then i'd like get i was six years old i'd go up to people and be like you know what did, what did really? you yeah i remember going up and like um I was asking them what they ate, and they start. They told me what they wanted, and I was like, "No, no, no! Where did you eat?" <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a waiter from the future. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. And uh, and also, my mom was always uh, she's very health conscious. She grew a lot of her own food, and um, she was always cooking, you know, quite sort of hippie-ish stuff and interesting stuff. And uh, what's hippie food? Hippie food like couscous, lentils. Um, there's this one thing called mushosh that my, me and my brother always used to make fun of her for, uh, but she was always cooking like you know really you know esoteric strange things from overseas, and it was always really healthy. She was a big you know she was into healthy eating, and also you know healthy eating is how you eat cheap. This is the thing that people like people are like oh my god you know the people in Scotland like they, what's the sorry what's this accent you're doing? I'm trying to do like a uh, uh, English liberal because they're they're always like, oh my god people people can't afford to eat healthily. It's like it's way cheaper to eat healthily than it is to like go to KFC. You know what I mean? Um, is that true? Yeah, yeah. Lentils. Come on, you get a bag of lentils. It's like you get so many meals out. Yeah, of that but bag. man cannot live by lentils alone. Yeah, but you can use lentils as a base. Get onions. Onions are super cheap. So much stuff is super cheap. Broccoli is super cheap. It's super good for you. And yeah. you know. Fish, you know, canned fish, all this stuff is like it's healthy and it's it's cheap. So presumably, having parents as keen as they were, you weren't uh, in the kitchen very much as a young boy. Yeah, no, I was in I was in the kitchen. I was really uh, really interested in cooking and um, always cooking with my mum. And uh, you know, she was teaching me how to cook stuff. And I was always experimenting. Even when I was a teenager, I remember I invented how how to make uh, caramel popcorn. It was delicious. How? What do you mean you invented it? You just discovered the process yourself? Yeah. So what, putting sugar in a pan, heating it up, going, hey, that's caramel. Uh, so sugar, water, and butter. Yeah. And making the caramel, and then you, you make the popcorn, and then you toss it in the stuff, and it yeah. all like hardens on it. Yeah. It's amazing. So Nightmare delicious. Nightmare clean up, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then you uh, presumably you left home to go to university. You stayed at home. Yeah, they didn't have a university in my house, so I left <laughs> to go to university. I moved to uh, Stirling. Okay. Stirling in the the foot of the Highlands, and um, yeah, so I, I cooked. I cooked there as well. I used to cook uh, some. Intro, I used. I don't know. I ate a lot of uh, pasta, a lot of noodles and stuff. And um, student staples. Yeah, and you know you're drinking and taking drugs, so food isn't your sort of number one priority, and also you're poor. Your studying is your top priority. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wish I'd studied something worthwhile. I studied film and media. A total pointless Mickey Mouse hey, degree. Hey, cut to however many years later, you're on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but like all the, I mean, I remember I got I got a job in a radio station right after after university, and uh, I learned more in like two weeks of working at this radio station than I did in like four years of studying at university. If you're gonna, what well, I'd say, if there's anybody out there thinking about doing some Mickey Mouse degree, especially now that you're getting like loads of debt. When I went, it was that long ago. You actually got paid to go. You got a grant to go. Never mind like loans and stuff. Um, but yeah, do medicine or you know something like that. Or even don't even go. Learn how to weld. So you're traveling around the world. Presumably yeah. you do want to come home and, and eat some home comforts. Yeah. What's the one thing that you cook that, that makes you feel, ah, I'm back in my own kitchen. Uh, I'm kind of in control. And I know, I know this flavor profile. Yeah. This comforts me. Well, I love uh, roast meat. Roast meat on a bed of vegetables, pork, beef, uh, chicken. But my favorite is, is lamb. Oh, I love lamb. So yeah, either like a slow cooked shoulder or uh, or lamb chops. Lamb chops, so delicious. Also, it's one of the one of the most ethical meats you can eat because uh, it can't be intensively reared. It's using the land that can't be used for arable farming. So you're not you know taking taking land away from it. It, it eats the. the just grass and and stuff like that. They're not they're not getting these uh, you know high intensity cereal foods or anything. So it's a very healthy, natural, uh, ethical, environmentally friendly food to to eat, and it's delicious as well. Lamb is absolutely delicious. So yeah, roast lamb, lamb chops on a bed of like aubergine, courgette, onion, maybe some tomatoes and stuff like that. How do you prep your lamb? I get it out of the packet and I put some oil on so it. you don't even go to the butcher? I, <laughs> my, my butcher, my local butcher is uh, it's called Tesco's. And uh, no, I, I generally get meat from Lidl, uh, which is a budget supermarket, but actually does really good meat. Yeah. Yeah. I actually find that like those kind of budget supermarket chains can sometimes do the most kind of interesting cuts. Yeah. You get like the most interesting salamis in places like Aldi. Do you know Aldi? Yeah, I know Aldi. Yeah. I've, been, I've been to Aldi. I love that place. They've got that middle aisle where they've got all the all the weird stuff like uh, massage chairs and leaf blowers. Right. Impulse buys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's a perfect shot for if you're not sure if you want a loaf of German rye bread for 14 pence or how about this telescope to look at the moons of Jupiter? Maybe this complete deep sea diving outfit. Only £4.99. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, 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 you're spot on. I mean, maybe that's how they make their money. Maybe that's how the rest of the meat's just so cheap. Maybe yeah. they're just relying on people buying deck chairs. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe anyone, ev- everyone that. Fold up scooters and bicycles. <laughs> exactly. And everyone that buys, you micro-lights. know. Micro lights. Exactly. Everyone that, that buys like, outdoor LED lights is subsidizing their sausages. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so, what, what what are we serving this lamb with? Tell, tell me about the veg. Um, so the veg, uh, aubergine. Aubergine is my favourite uh, vegetable. I think not just because it's it's the most fun emoji, but it's just delicious when it's cooked. When it's cooked in like um, you know, like a little bit crispy, a little bit burnt and stuff, but also like really sort of creamy and melty and delicious. I love baba ganoush as well. Mm. Like uh, it's so delicious. 
and um, and also it soaks up all the juices from the meat, so it gets all that flavour. And uh, yeah, I love um, I love you know squash, sweet potato, uh, onions, shallots, garlic, courgette. Uh, broccoli as well. Love roast broccoli. Mm. You know when it goes all crispy mm. and delicious, and it's still got you know the the re- the bit, and it's still like you know sort of green and, and delicious. Um, I love it when it goes all all crispy though. I think there'll be women listening to this now, wishing that they were the contestant on this program. <laughs> well, you can be. Uh, just uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram. Slide into my DMs. There you go. That was Leo. I really enjoyed talking to Leo. I've wanted to do that interview with him for a while, so I'm I'm glad that we managed to find a gap in our schedules. And anyone that's seen Leo do his show live on stage will know that he's capable of being an absolute potty mouth. So the fact that we were capable of doing a a relatively wholesome uh, and, uh, and clean interview... Uh, I was very surprised by, uh, and also very grateful to Leo. So thanks very much. Uh, if you'd like to see some of Leo's stand-up comedy, then you can do so on his Instagram page, uh, Scottish Comedian. Uh, Scottish Comedian, that's all you need to search for, uh, and you'll find him. So, uh, do uh, subscribe to this podcast if you'd like to hear more interviews like this. Uh, every single month we release an episode where I interview a talented home cook, irrespective of their background, uh, irrespective of their skill level. All that matters is they have some kind of dish to talk about and some interesting story to tell. And if you'd like to see what I look like, if you're listening to this and going, how handsome can this boy be? Uh, Then please do watch the pilot of the video series that we've made highlighting talented home cooks in their home. It's called Pona Home Cooks of the World. That's Pona, P-O-N-A, Home Cooks of the World. You can find it on YouTube. We are in discussions. I have to say euphemistically, we're in discussions with major streaming services uh, in the hope that we can bring uh, this show to more countries and highlight more home cooks but if you're interested in finding uh, finding out uh, about home cooks in Italy uh, then I go to the home of five talented home cooks find out their secrets and then try and create a recipe based on what I've learned from them back in our studio kitchen I had so much fun filming it so I really do hope uh, that you enjoy watching it and if you have any feedback then please do email us it's podcast at pona.app that's the email address podcast at pona p-o-n-a dot app And also, if you'd like to get in touch about the podcast, if you'd like to suggest a guest, uh, or if you have any questions for our guests, then please do email in podcast at pona.app. So, uh, all that's left to say is I hope that if you haven't already subscribed, you do so, and I will see you next month. And that is a promise.